Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Uh, I was really trying to figure out where to go uh, after we got through with the book of Acts last week. Uh, and and I, 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 just, I just thought about it, prayed, and, and the Lord's kind of led me to 1 Timothy. Uh, and, and you'll see why in just a few minutes. But uh, it is so cool to study a Bible that will meet every need. Amen? And it is, it's relevant, it's on time, all the time, and uh, it's just been good to be in the Word today. Got a really cool deal, a little, little video to show you in just a little bit, uh, uh, some cool information, and I really believe you're going to enjoy Bible study tonight. So, so make sure, let's do this, we hadn't done this. Come on, Brother Melvin, thank you for the water. All right, thank you for the water. Turn around and greet your neighbor, turn around, wave at your neighbor, say we're glad you're here, we're glad you're here. All right, keep your distance, but we're glad you're here. Amen. All right, First Timothy, First Timothy chapter number one. Let's look here and we'll read just a few verses and then we'll sit down. All right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto who? Unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith. Grace, mercy and peace from God, our father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, having turned aside into vain jangling, Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. But we know what, that the law is good. Say amen. amen. If a man use it lawfully, it's good if you use it right. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. Uh, I heard a preacher preach one time on the law is for outlaws. Say amen. <laughs> and he says, this is, this is what it's for. It's for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. That's talking about sodomites, homosexuals, for men stealers, kidnappers, for liars, for perjured persons. If there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. In other words, he just put them all in anything that's not right. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. In other words, that's Paul's way of saying, you can take this to the bank. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of, amen. We ought to just stop and shout right there. Amen. I'm so glad he came to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it? For this cause I obtain mercy that in, in, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Mercy. We'll get to that hopefully at the end. Well, let's pray. Let's pray and, uh, and we'll get started. How many of you are excited tonight? I, I really hope you are because this is going to be really cool. It's going to be a very good study. I am so glad you're in God's house. Uh, it is it is an encouragement to me to be able to meet with you and let's talk about God together. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the blessing of having your people in your house. 
Lord, it is such a thrill to me to have people that are here hungry. They have their pens and papers in their hand. They're ready to study. They're ready to grow and learn and be edified tonight. Now, Lord, I pray they won't leave disappointed. I pray that you'll help us and give us what we stand in need of. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do and praise you and give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, don't let me say anything I shouldn't and don't let me forget anything I should. And God, will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to read a verse uh, to kind of kick this thing off. Uh, we, we usually when we start a new book, we will have like a, a theme verse, you know, the one verse out of the chapter or one verse out of the book that is kind of the theme of the book. And uh, it, it, there's, there's no doubt about, no doubt about that would be 1 Timothy uh, 3.15. Let me read it. It's at the top of your notes. If you're looking for it, it should be at the top of your notes. He says, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to what? But hey, look at your neighbor and tell him, behave. Yeah, there's a certain behavior that's expected in the house of God. And he's teaching him there. He said that thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Now, this, this, this particular book, first and second Timothy and, and Titus, has been called the, the pastoral epistles, okay? Or letters. Uh, he is, he has left these two, these two sons in the faith. Uh, he's left, uh, Timothy at Ephesus, which we'll get to in just a second, and Titus at Crete. And, and he is giving them encouragement and help because they are pastoring and they need help. And they need help because they're dealing with people. Are y'all with me? Uh, I used to joke around, I used to joke around and say, man, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people, but there wouldn't be any ministry if it wasn't for the people. Ministry is people, right? And, and so, uh, uh, these guys are struggling. Paul is encouraging them and helping them. And that's what this letter is all about. And this letter is about the church. This letter is about the church. And, and so we're going to, we're going to just go through this, uh, kind of do an intro today and, uh, uh, look at this chapter and, and see what it's got for us. All right. So if we're taking notes, if you're writing, uh, notes down, the first thing we're going to see is the greeting. Say that with me. We find, the. Uh, why in the greeting? What do we have in the greeting? We have first the author, the author, which is the apostle Paul. Look in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we've been studying Paul. We've been studying Paul for months and months and months now in the book of Acts. I don't think I have to tell you who Paul was. Amen. Uh, we know Paul used to be Saul. Uh, God touched him right in the middle of the book of Acts. He became the main character uh, after the apostle Peter, and he was used. We've been, matter of fact, last few months, we've been following Paul all over the Mediterranean on several occasions. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Several missionary journeys, and, and, and now we know who Paul is. We know who Paul is. And, and let's look at the recipient. The recipient is Timothy, right? Verse number two. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto who? Verse 2, everybody, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Now, we are first introduced to Timothy in Acts chapter number 16. Look at your notes. Look at your notes. Acts chapter number 16. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. So he was half Gentile and half Jew, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Now, on Paul's first missionary journey, we find that, that Timothy is saved. Paul calls him his own son in the faith. Paul personally led uh, Timothy to Christ in the first missionary journey. Second missionary journey, he comes around and, and he is recommended by the brethren. He is seeing that he is faithful and uh, he has been a blessing and he, he has what he needs to be a partner, right? So he takes him in and says, I want you to go with me and I want you. And so basically he takes him to mentor him. 
and to disciple him. Uh, many of y'all know we do DMD, disciples making disciples. And we have in those levels of leadership in DMD. There are Pauls, there are Timothys, and there are Tituses. Paul leads a Timothy. Now, Timothy was a teenager when he first went with Paul. He was very, very young, but he was recommended. He was seen. He had, he had characteristics that were used by God and recommended to Paul. Now, look, look how close they are. 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first. So now we're going to learn who his grandmama is. Uh, thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And am persuaded that is in thee also. 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my what? Beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere and in every church. If you look in the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, uh, you will find that he says Timothy is like-minded. And it's, he's the only one he says that about. In other words, Timothy thinks like me. He's like-minded like me. He said, I have no one to care for you like I would except for Timothy. So him and Timothy are very tight. They are very close. Uh, he loves this young man and he has a, he has a heart for Timothy. And so we see the author and the recipient. Now, number two, number two, let's look at the place and the purpose. All right. The place and the purpose. Look in verse number three. He says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So verse three, and I besought thee to abide still at where? Ephesus, Ephesus. So we see a, the church at Ephesus. Paul leaves Timothy there at the church of Ephesus. All right. And we're going to, we're going to look at that here in just a minute. Matter of fact, let's just go ahead and do that now. I got a little video to show you. It's really cool. It's a couple minutes long. Uh, and this is kind of, uh, maybe an intro, uh, to Ephesus. Okay. Uh, we, this is, this is where Paul sent the letter of what? Ephesians to the people of, come on, people, you're slowing up on me. All right. To Ephesus. This is one of the, this is one of the churches that were started, uh, uh, here in the, in the Mediterranean. It's in modern day Turkey now. Uh, right on the coast of modern-day Turkey. So let's look at this this little intro to this city, Ephesus. What Jesus would say if he wrote a letter to our church, what would he say to us? Early in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John tells us of seven letters that Jesus wrote to churches in what is now known as Turkey. We typically think of this region of the world as having always been Muslim, but this is not the case. The region of Turkey was once a place where there were many thriving churches. Why is this not so today? What's happened? The answers may be found in the letters that Jesus wrote to them so many years ago. Each of these letters had application to every first century reader and is relevant to us today. The first of these letters is written to the church in Ephesus. Located on the most direct sea and land route to the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire, Ephesus was an emporium that had few equals in the world. No city in Asia was more famous or more populous. Ephesus was to the Roman Empire what perhaps New York City is to the United States today. It was also significant politically. It was the home of the Roman governor and was frequently the scene of very important trials. Ephesus was a notorious center of pagan superstition. It was famous for the Ephesian letters, amulets and charms, which were supposed to be infallible remedies for sickness, to bring children to those who were childless, and to ensure success in any undertaking. And people came from all over the world to buy them. In Ephesus, pagan religion was at its strongest. It was the center of worship, or Artemis, or Diana. Diana was the goddess of fertility, life, and reproduction. So the worship of Diana was immoral beyond description. The temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Only the foundation and one column remains of this temple, which once measured 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. 
It once had 120 columns that each stood 60 feet tall. The center portion was roofed over with cypress wood and housed a statue of Diana that was considered to be the most sacred of the ancient world. This massive complex was the religious, cultural, and economic center of the city. It contained the Bank of Asia and ironically was also a haven for hardened criminals who could legally find refuge within its perimeter. The city's economy also depended upon the massive sales of figurines of the goddess Diana. Ephesus also contained an impressive theater that was able to hold 25,000 people. It was originally designed for theatrical performances, but later alterations allowed gladiatorial contests to be held there. It was in this theater that the mob gathered to rally against Paul the Apostle. The Church of Ephesus was probably founded by the Apostle Paul and two early Christians named Aquila and Priscilla. Paul ministered there for more than two years and later left Timothy there to carry on the work. Christian tradition holds that after Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle John brought Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Ephesus, where they took up residence during their remaining years. Even today, one can visit what is reportedly the gravesite of the Apostle John. It was in this economically wealthy, politically influential, and religiously corrupt city that a congregation of Christians met for worship, discipleship, and evangelism. And this was one of the churches that received a personal letter from Jesus Christ himself. Church, say amen. Now imagine this. Imagine this. Let's, let's look at a couple pictures real quick. All right, we see where it's at, right? Right here, it's on the coast of, of Turkey. So does everybody know where it's at now? Say amen. All right, now look at the next one. Look at the next one. This is the, this is the stadium. This is the... Uh, uh, the place, if you will remember when we were studying the book of Acts, uh, Paul was, was ministering here and the silversmiths, the ones who made the little statues, the silver statues, they figured out if Paul is successful, we're not going to be able to sell these things anymore because they're not going to worship Diana or Artemis anymore. And they, they caused a riot. You remember they went into this, that we went into this place right here and for two hours they screamed, great. Great is the temple of Diana of the Ephesian. Great is the temple of Diana. Go back and ask. We studied that. If you're looking at me real funny, that means you wasn't here that night. But how many of y'all remember studying that? They caused a riot. Paul had to get out of town. And, uh, and, and so this is it. 25,000 people would fit in here. It was estimated that there was 250,000 people in the city, one of the largest cities in the ancient world here. Uh, metropolitan. If it would be like now, it would be, it would be like, uh, it would be like taking someone, uh, to New York, taking someone to New York and leaving them there to minister. Are y'all with me? Uh, now, now listen, uh, uh, how old is Walker? 12. Okay. Uh, little Walker, he comes to, he comes to Bondo church and, and he's involved and imagine, imagine him, uh, just a couple years older than that, uh, just a couple years older than that, and me taking him under my wing and, and him spending about 10 to 15 years with me, and then me dropping him off in the middle of New York and saying, I got to go on, but I need you. That's what it would be like. I want, I want you to get this in your head. Uh, Paul or Timothy was a lot like Paul. He was faithful like Paul. He was, he, he, he had, he had the, the, the thinking and, and all of that like Paul, like-minded the whole deal, but he had a tendency to be timid. He had a tendency to have, uh, I don't want to say nerve problems, but he just worried a lot. And now you see why. You're living in a, in a metropolis, a city that is incredibly ungodly. The temple that you saw a while ago, uh, it had temple prostitutes, men and women. Uh, they, the, the, I don't even want to go into the description of their, their way of worship and how they worship. There was also, there was also temples to the, to the Caesars. You had to worship the Caesars as God. All right. Going into, now let's go to the next picture. All right. This is the, this is the main, this is the main street. Go to the next picture. 
All right, this is the public library. This is the public library. One of the, one of the largest in the ancient world. Is in, the architecture is incredible. All right, go to the next one. All right, in this, in this area, you see the library. And, and go, back, go back to the, the, the last one, please. Go back to the last one. If you'll, see, if you'll see going through this area, you'll go into the agora or the, uh, basically the marketplace, right? The, the center of the city. Okay, and the agora is where you did all your buying, selling, trading, and all that. Well, there was a there was an altar of incense that you would go past before you went in, and it was required it was required that you take incense and offer it on the on the fire as as your loyalty to the Caesar. Now Christians can't do that; their only Lord is the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so they're having to deal with that. They're having to deal with being kicked out of city life and community life and and the agora and being able to buy and sell or have a shop in there because of their belief and because of their their convictions. Now are you kind of getting an idea of what Timothy's having to deal with? Now, you have all of these outside problems and outside obstacles and outside issues that's trying to crush uh, uh, the, this, this early church movement and this baby church movement, but that's not, that's not the most, that's not the most important to deal with. That is not the most critical. Paul tells us what is most critical, right? He says, I left you in Ephesus. That's the place. Are y'all with me? Say amen. That's the place. But this is why to correct false teachers. Look what he says in verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other, what? Doctrine. Doctrine. It says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. All right? What What is happening here? There are false teachers have come in the church. The greatest danger to the church is not the sinners on the outside. It's the charlatans on the inside. Are y'all with me? Now, do this with me. Do this with me. Turn back to the book of Acts. Turn back to the book of Acts. And let's do just a little refresher. If you'll remember when we were in Acts chapter number 20, Acts chapter number 20, uh, Paul is headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem. And he wants to, he wants, he gathers, he gathers the, the leaders of Ephesus. He gathers the leaders of Ephesus. Uh, uh, and, and, and if you'll remember, now, now we're getting close to, to Paul's arrest and he's going to be sent to Rome and all of that. But this is, this is what he is dealing with. He sends, he sends note to the, the leaders of Ephesus. This is Acts 20, verse 16. Acts 20, verse 16. <clears throat> Yeah, go to verse 17. Are y'all there? Say amen. He said, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing from that which was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of those things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now he's getting to the purpose of, of, of gathering them together, all right? And now behold, now behold. In other words, open up, pay attention. Get your ears open and listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. Behold, I, what's that word? I say it again, I... 
I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. Take, take heed, be careful, be careful. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I I know, I know this is what's going to happen. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your, well look here, look here. Also of your own selves. Also of your own selves shall men arise. They're going to come up from inside. They shall arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples among. In other words, there's people that's wanting, wanting to be, wanting to be leaders and, and they're wanting followers. It's not about edifying the church. They want a following. They want a crowd following them. It's about their own pride and their selfish desire. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch, watch, he says. And remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Are y'all with me? Say amen. He was so concerned about this. This was so important to him. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way, not really knowing exactly what was going to happen, except the fact that he knew he was going to be arrested. And it was so important to him, he had to stop. And he gathered the the elders, the, the leaders there of Ephesus and said, be careful, be careful. Whatever you do, feed the flock of God. Listen, the greatest way, the greatest way to attack and to conquer false doctrine is teaching sound doctrine. Are y'all with me? The greatest way to defeat, as a matter of fact, the only way to defeat a lie is to know the truth. He said, listen, feed the flock of God. Teach them the word. Why? Because there's coming people that are going to be false teachers. They're going to be ravenous wolves. Are y'all with me? They're going to come in. He said, not just from the outside, but they're going to come in from among you. And guess what? It happened. All right. Paul goes and he gets arrested. Right? Right? Is there means? Yeah. No. Do y'all not remember? It's only been a few weeks. All right. Paul goes to, uh, he goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. He's shipped off to Rome. I'm doing this fast forward, right? I mean, he's in Rome. He's released. He's released and he goes and he goes through Ephesus, spends some time there and leaves. He leaves Timothy there and goes on to Macedonia. All right. Now he's in Macedonia. Are are y'all with me? This is what happens. He leaves Timothy there and he goes on. He's writing a letter back to Timothy. Now we know at the end of this, we know at the end of this, this chapter that he expelled two members of the church and kicked them out, excommunicated them, disciplined them. So he got the ball rolling. He started the progress. He started uh, what he wanted Timothy to finish. Does this make sense? He kicked them out and started and was dealing with those false teachers. And once he got that done, he said, all right, I need you to finish the job. I got to go. And so here you have a, Young man, now when you read First and Second Timothy and put it all together, you have a very young man who has teachers, elders in the church that's a lot older than him. Come on. And he's got to come correct them. Think about that a minute. He's got to deal with all the immorality of the city. And as a young protege to the Apostle Paul, he has to go into an established church and tell older elders who are teaching false doctrine, you got to knock it off. Now do you understand why Timothy had stomach problems? So how do you know Timothy had stomach problems? He said, put the water down and take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And thine often infirmities. 
Why do people have stomach problems? Because they're worried and nervous. Are y'all with me? That's what Paul, that's what Timothy's dealing with. So this is, this is your job, Timothy. I need you to stay here. I need you to stay here and I need you to fix these problems. I need you to teach them to teach or, or stop them from teaching false doctrine and make sure they teach right doctrine. What was right doctrine? Whatever Paul taught Timothy. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later too. All right. Now, now, so, so are we kind of seeing, are we kind of seeing why Timothy is there to begin with? We seeing that? Are we kind of understanding the atmosphere that he's having to minister in? Now we, we need to under, we need to understand. I've heard people say, it's never been this wicked before. Oh yeah. It has. Oh yeah. It has. It's always been wicked. It's always been wicked. All right. Now here's, here's what we want to do. Number three. Number three, we find the greeting in verse number one and two. We find the place and purpose in, in, in verse number three. Then I want you to see the problem to address. The problem to address. Look at verse number four. Look at verse number four. Let me get back over here. First Timothy chapter one, verse four. Neither give heed to what? Fables. What's a fable? It's just a story. It's a story. It's, and, it, and the bad part is when a story is told long enough, it can become a belief. And there, there's, there's tons of them in religious circles. He said, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now we see genealogies throughout the Old Testament, right? Uh, he begat her and her begat him and him begat, him begat, him begat, 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 begat. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And you know, I think brother Doug kind of talked a little bit about that Sunday, right? Now watch. Now watch when he was talking about all those different names. He said, neither give heed to fables or endless genealogies, which minister what? Questions. questions. They minister questions. In other words, what, what's produced out of all that? More questions. Now watch. Rather, rather than godly, what? Edifying, which is in faith. So do. All right. Now watch this. Watch this. What's the problem that, that Timothy's going to have to deal with? Confusion instead of edifying. The teachers that were supposed to be teaching simple truths were causing more problems. They were confusing the people instead of edifying the church. If you're not understanding what you're getting, you're going to be more confused than you are going to grow. I was taught a long time ago, put it on the shelf where they can reach it. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how much education you have. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how much time you spend on the internet. Listen, they're teachers all over the world. If they can't understand what you're trying to say and you're doing more confusing, best thing you can do is hush. Are y'all with me? We are to edify edify means build up build up now watch this watch this he said this is confusing they're they're dealing with now 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 we're gonna we're kind of we're gonna kind of kind of kind of get where we're going here verse five now the end of the commandment is charity out of what is charity love right love what do we want to produce in people with our teaching and our preaching we want them to right we want them to love What's the number one commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul. Now, what's the second is like the verse. Love your neighbor. So your teaching and preaching should produce love in people, right? Love for God and love for their neighbor. Now, watch this. Love, charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That these are the things that are supposed to be produced. These are the things that we're after, Right? Now watch this, watch this. From which some, having swerved, having turned aside into vain jangling. That means just babbling. They're asking questions or having answers that nobody's asking a question about. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. Here's, here's where it's all going to come together. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Here's the deal. You had some people in the church 
that wanted the prestige. That wanted the honor and the accolades that went with the Jewish rabbis. Because, I mean, it, it don't take long to read the Gospels to find out that the, the Pharisees were, were, were way up here and were regarded and they were proud of it. And they wanted that. The leaders wanted that. Now, this is so important because this happens all the time. This happens all the time. Anytime, anytime you get a congregation that has some kind of influence, maybe it's larger and there is a larger platform, there are people that want to be part of it. They don't want to be part of it to bless and edify their neighbor or to encourage the flock. It's so others can see me. Can see me. I have had people invite themselves to speak in this platform. Can you imagine that? No, they ain't never made it. There are people that do what they do to be seen. And that's what we have here. They wanted to be teachers of the law, but there's a problem. There's a problem. Watch what the problem is. Look what, look what it says. Look what it says. So, so I didn't give you B, did I? Wrong motives. The motive was not to produce love, a pure heart, and faith. Okay, a clear conscience. That wasn't the motive. That's what it should have been. Their motive was, look at me. I want to be a teacher. Not so I can help other people learn. Is it so people can hear me? That's why, that's why Facebook has become so devastating. It's because people now have a platform. People now have an ear that really shouldn't have one. Right? And, and, and you see so much foolishness. And, 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 and anyway, anyway, watch this, watch this. Verse number seven. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. In other words, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. They want to stand up and be teachers of the law and they don't know what they're talking about. So, in the, in, and it gets worse. It gets worse. He said they affirm. Not only are they ignorant, they're confident in their ignorance. They don't know nothing and they're sure of it. I'm just reading it, guys. Look at it. That's what it says. Paul said, not only do they not know what they're talking about, they are convinced in it. That's a dangerous place to be. They want to be teachers. So basically what's happening, if you read between the lines, you hear the genealogies, right? That comes out of the Old Testament, the law, teachers of the law. So we find Judaism in here. And what did Paul have to deal with? A lot. The Judaizers following him around and, and teaching that you had to believe in Christ and follow the law of Moses. So you see what's happening here? The same, the same group, the same crowd teaching legalism, teaching salvation by following the law, keeping the law. All right? You're saved by keeping the law of Moses. Now, now this is why he said they're wanting to teach the law and they don't even know what the law was for. Are y'all with me? Now let's keep on. Let's keep on. Let's, let's prove what we're talking about. So we have confusion instead of edifying, wrong motives, and ignorant charlatans. The word charlatan is a person falsely claiming to have a special knowledge or skill. Basically, he's a what? He's a what? Fraud. He's a fraud. Now, now Paul stops. Paul stops to explain himself. Paul stops to explain himself so you understand. So you understand. He's not against the law. 
He's not an anti-law apostle. Right? Watch what he says. Watch what he says. He said, they have a desire to be teachers of the law, and they don't even understand neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, if he uses it right. It's good if he uses it right. And then he begins to explain. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for men slayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. If And here it is. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. You know what he's saying there? The law is for sinners. The law is for sinners. Now watch this. Watch this. Write this down in your notes. Write this down in your notes. There's some principles we need to understand. There's some principles we need to understand that we find here. First, the purpose of the law. These guys, these frauds, these charlatans, they were trying to teach the law and they didn't even understand what the purpose of the law was. They had this idea that the purpose of the law was to keep you right and to make you holy and to save you. If you, if you perform the law, then you are saved. That's impossibility. That's an impossibility. Nobody can. That was not ever, ever, ever the purpose of the law. What was the purpose of the law? Let's look what the Bible says. Romans 3, 20. Wherefore, or let's, let's all read. Let's all read. Put it up there on the board. Put it up there. You got that? Let's all read together. Start with therefore. Here we go. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That means keeping the law doesn't save you. It doesn't justify you. It doesn't fix you. It doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you right with God. Are y'all with me? Watch this. For by the, by the what? Law is the of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, when you're riding down the highway, when you're riding down the highway, and, 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 oh yeah. Uh-oh. Uh, Brucey, a member of my family, on the way to see my grand young and going to be born, uh, met one of Alabama's finest. I was in the lead, and I come over the hill and seen him, and I'm like, oh, boy. And I went on by and, 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 and he got the member of my family <laughs> instead of me. I thought, Lord, don't get me because I ain't going to hear the end of this. I know I'm not going to hear the end of this. He pulls me over and he didn't pull me over. He got the other person. <clears throat> but somehow it was still my fault, Shane. I was trying to keep up with you. <laughs> now, now, uh, what happened? What happened? What was issued? The law wasn't issued. The ticket. The consequence of breaking the law. Now, on the street sign, the street sign says what? 55. I wish it said 70. On that one. <laughs> All right. And when he come to the door, we knew why. We didn't have to ask. You know why we didn't have to ask? Because the law said. Y'all picking it up now? So what's the purpose of the law? Did the law, watch this now. Did the law keep us from Sinning? No. No. It just showed us we was a sinner. The law, I don't care how many laws they pass. 
If the law says 55, what you going to do? I don't believe you, Miss Diane. 60. If the law says 65, what are you going to do? You know why? Because the law produces rebellion. How do you know that? It says wet paint. Don't touch. What you going to do? What happens when you see this sign? Stay off the grass. You got to. You know why? Because the law can't keep you right. It can't make you do right. It can just show you you're wrong. See, they were trying to use the law to make them do right. To say you're right if you... But see, that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law, for by the law, is the what? The knowledge of sin. Look at the next verse. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to what? Bring us unto Christ that we might be by. Now, this is where it's going to make sense. This is where it's going to make sense. Watch this. Let's put these two together. Okay. First is the purpose of the law. The law is for the outlaws, right? Now, verse 11, according to the glorious what? Gospel. Verse 11. Come on, everybody. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, so we have two things here. We're talking about principles to understand, right? Principles to understand. We have the law and the gospel. The law and the gospel. They go together. People try to keep them apart. No, no, no. They go together. You got to have them both. They go together. All right. Now, watch this. The purpose of the law, look in your notes. The law is the, come on, everybody. Bad news. The law is the bad news. The gospel is the, it's the good news. Some of y'all are like, where is he going with this? Watch this. Watch this. Look at your notes. Look at your notes. The law and gospel go together. The law without the gospel is a diagnosis without remedy. You know what that means? If you just had the law, it would just say, you're in trouble. You're a sinner and you're condemned. If all we had was the law, we would find ourselves in a mess. Now watch. The law without the gospel is diagnosis without remedy. But the gospel without the law is only the good news of salvation for people who don't believe they need it. Because they have never heard the bad news of judgment. The law is not gospel, but the gospel is not lawless. Now, let me explain. The hardest part, the hardest part for some people to getting saved. Now, everybody look at me because this is really important. I want you to miss this. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. The hardest part about getting saved is getting lost. Because there are people who are good. There are people that are wholesome. There are are people that are moral. There are people that are the good old boys. And they don't see their need for salvation. You won't go to the doctor till you see that you're sick. And you won't think you need the good news until you hear the bad news. The law says you're a sinner. The law says you have broken God's law. The law says you are condemned. And you have to have the law to see the state that you find yourself in. To see your condition. So when you lay down the law, you show somebody they are a sinner. 
That's why we read Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Your little white lie has caused you to be condemned. That little thing you did that nobody saw has caused you to be condemned. Because sin is a transgression of the law. And the law says you're a sinner. But thank God the glorious gospel says you can be saved. That God is a forgiver of sin and Jesus is the deliverer. He is the savior and he can take your black sin and dip it in red blood and it come out white as snow. Somebody say amen. They need the bad news so they can appreciate the good news. Are y'all with me? Because you can't get saved until you get Me and one of my buddies was talking about another buddy. And he thinks he's saved. He thinks he's saved. He just doesn't even, just lives not, not as a murderer or, but just ungodly. And it is 10 times harder trying to witness to him than, than an old boy on the street that knows he's a drunk, knows he's just whatever you whatever one of these lists you put in there. He knows he's an outlaw. Are y'all with me? That's why this is so important. Paul is saying, there ain't nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. The law shows us we're outlaws. But what they're forgetting is the glorious gospel. Are y'all with me? Let's hurry. Good gracious. I can't believe we're running out of time. All right. We see the principles to understand. The purpose of the law. The power of the gospel. The good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the, power, the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We see number five. The personal testimony. <clears throat> Paul says, matter of fact, let me tell you about myself. Watch what he says. In verse number 12, he says, let me give you a prime example of an outlaw getting lost and getting saved. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful Putting me in the ministry. Now write this down. His testimony, what Paul is saying, he is saying, I am a work of Christ. Say that with me. I am a work of Christ. Whatever you are, Jesus done it. Jesus done it. He said, whatever I am, I am by the grace of God. Whatever good is in you, it was Jesus. Whatever's blessed about you, it is Jesus. Say amen. Now look at verse 13 and 14. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. And by the way, this all my DMD people, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's telling his story, right? Now he's telling before Christ. Y'all see that? Look what he says. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, verse 13 and 14, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. First, he says, B, he talks about the power of Christ. He said, look what I used to be. If you give your testimony and you don't have a used to, you might want to check up. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are what? Behold, all things. Say it with me. All things are become what? You're going to have a used to. Amen. He said, this is what I used to be. I love that old phrase. I love that old phrase. I was a kid when I heard a preacher say this. He said, I'm not what I ought to be, but I ain't what I used to be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. Amen. Paul says, I used to be a bad person. I used to be a heathen. I used to be like them outlaws I just listed. 
But the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, the power of Christ. But then look at verse 15, the purpose of Christ. This is the purpose of Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What is he saying? He said, listen, I was a bad guy. I was an outlaw and God saved me. Hallelujah. And not only did God save me, he came to save you. He came to save sinners. That's his business. That's what he does. That's the good news. Sinners shout to victory because he came to save you. That's his purpose. It's just what he does. He's a savior. What kind of savior would he be if he didn't save nobody? Amen. Did you notice something about that verse though? Did you notice something about this aged man of God, this seasoned saint of God? He said he came into the world to save sinners of whom he didn't say I was. He said, I am. You see the humility? Paul still considered himself. Chief means number one. I'm the chief of sinners. Think about that. That is so awesome. He came to save sinners like me. Watch this. I like this one. The pat. Oh, hurry, hurry. Write this down quick. The pattern of Christ. Verse 16. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. I obtain who? The chief sinner. The number one sinner. That in what? In me, in Paul. First, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a, come on everybody, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You know what that basically means? You know what that basically means? If Jesus can save the chief, If Jesus can save the number one sinner, he can save all those that come after him. Now, that might not mean nothing to you unless you've had a real rough life. But even if you haven't had a real rough life, you need to appreciate that. God can save anybody. There is nobody beyond his grace. There is nobody beyond his mercy. There is nobody beyond his reach. He said, if he can save me, honey, he can save anybody. Church, say amen. Yeah, Miss Diane, and does, and does. I like it. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. Paul gets all jacked up. He gets to talking about his own personal testimony. He gets to talking about what he used to be. He gets to talking about what Jesus has done for him. He gets so excited, he just breaks off in worship. Praise and worship. This is a response to salvation. This is a response to salvation. Look what happens. He's talking about what he used to be. He's talking about what Jesus did for him. He's talking about his abundant grace and his abundant mercy and God's ability to save sinners. Now watch what he does. Verse 17. He just starts talking to God. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What happens when you get to thinking about what God's done for you, when you get to thinking about where you was when he found you, when you get to thinking about where you were headed, when you were lost without Christ on your way to hell, and now because of his grace, because of his mercy, not because of your good deeds or your ability or your talent or what you ever had to offer, simply because God loved you enough to forgive you your sins, you're on your way to heaven, you can't help but get happy. 
And man, he begins to praise and he begins to worship. And I tell you, I, I, I tell you what's wrong with a lot of Christians today. They forgot where they was when God found them. Paul never did. He remembered who he was. He remembered what he did. And he remembered what God had done for him. He never forgot the goodness of God. And because of that, he could tell you, let's offer the sacrifice of praise. Listen, the, the fruit of our lips and the praise unto God. That's why we don't worship. That's why we, we don't sing. That's why we come into the church house and sit like a knot on a log and don't get excited. Because we forgot where we was when he found us. Or you have a misunderstanding of salvation and you think you're saved because of something you did. You think you're doing God a favor by showing up in this house. Listen, honey, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how much God needs you. Stick your hand in a bucket of water, pull your hand out, whatever hole you leave, that's how much God needs you. God is sufficient all by himself. It's not that he needs us, we need him. Boy, Paul couldn't, I'm telling you, he couldn't contain himself. When's the last time you had a, I can't help it? I'm serious. When's the last time you just stopped a minute? We've been so caught up with all this mess, all this garbage. Pandemic this, pandemic that, COVID this, mass this, mass that. And we've totally. I was talking to I was talking to Dr. Nelms. And and we was discussing this the stupidity of arguing over mask. He said, you know what, Malcolm? He said, one of our Timothy's, one of our Timothy's, our disciples. She witnessed to a, she witnessed to somebody and shared the gospel with somebody. She was in her third trimester and her husband killed her. Murdered her in the baby simply because she shared her faith. And he said, we in the United States are fighting over a mask. How foolish. I, I think we need to put things into perspective. He's still God and he's still great. We're still undeserving and he's still worthy. Let's give God praise and glory. Come on. All right. We're over time, but we're going to finish. Look at the last two verses. Last, last three verses. Verse, verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a what? Everybody say it. A good, a good warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Of whom? And he names them. These were two, two leaders, two elders, most likely in the church at Ephesus that was teaching false doctrine that wanted to be teachers of the law, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Two things in this powerful charge. Expect fearsome warfare. Write that down. Expect fearsome warfare. Let me tell you what I, what I think is wrong with a lot of Christians today. They've been, they've been fed a false bill of goods. Just like, just like when you give all gospel and no law. All gospel and no law. They don't understand their condition. They don't understand how they're a sinner and they're condemned. We give all grace and no judgment. And what that, what that produces is a people who think it's all going to be uh, cherry pie and ice cream after they get saved. And they think it's all prosperity and wealth and health and blessings of God. Now, I appreciate all that stuff. But did God not say, as long as you're in this world, ye shall have tribulation? Are y'all with me? 
all of the disciples, all of the apostles were killed. Except the apostle John and he was, he was exiled on, on Patmos. They tried to kill him. Are y'all with me? Paul tells Timothy, listen, you're a soldier. We are in the army. We are in battle. This is warfare. The moment you get saved, you entered the fight. Paul, or excuse me, Peter said this way, be sober, be vigilant, because you're your adversary. That means your enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion who roameth about seeking whom he may devour. Do you realize you're in a fight? You're in a war? The moment you get saved, you're in a fight with the devil. You're in a fight with the culture and the society. You're in a fight with your own flesh. Our own carnality. We got it. Listen, we need we need to buck up. We need to quit being spiritual sissies. Yes, I said it. We're in a warfare. I mean, the way a lot of Christians are acting, it's like they're in a firefight and worrying about the dirt on their shirt. This is warfare. Do you think the devil is just going to lay down and roll over and let you take? He said, expect fearsome warfare. Lastly, expel false workers. Expel false workers. He's leaving Timothy there. He says, you need to expect fearsome warfare. That's devotion. We need to be devoted. He says, you're going to have to exercise discipline. There's going to be people, basically this, this is, this is the, this is the bottom line. He says, son, there's going to be people in the church that's not there for the right reason. They're wanting an audience. They're doing it for pride. They're doing it to say, hey, look at me. And they're teaching damnable heresies, false doctrine. You got to straighten it out. Go in there and teach what I taught you. Paul told Timothy, and this is the theme of DMD, that which thou hast learned of me, commit thou to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. You know what? In that one verse, Miss Cindy, in that one verse, you see four generations. Paul says to Timothy, what you've learned of me, Teach to faithful men that they may be able to teach others. That's the way we're supposed to behave. And all God's people say it.